The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. The playoffs uh, have ended for some teams already. This is true. More teams will go home tonight. Uh, yeah. Individual players have suffered some pretty ugly injuries. And some coaches have said some pretty fantastically brutal things. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the NHL postseason. It is gorgeous and brutal and entirely unforgiving. Where do you want to start this week? I did. Uh, <laughs> uh, should we start with the updates and just talk about who's before I start diving into? Before we spend half of the show talking about the Bruins, yes, let's talk about where we are today. <clears throat> so the obvious one for local fans, Bruins and Florida Panthers sit at, uh, sit at game six, heading into game seven, obviously tied 3-3. Um, <clears throat> I am both surprised by this and not surprised by this. Um, uh, out west, a, the Avalanche... Okay surprised. The Avalanche and Seattle are... Still tied. Uh, also heading to a game seven. Dallas advanced over Minnesota. Winnipeg the, uh, advanced against. Uh, I'm sorry, the Knights, the Golden Knights advanced against the Jets and the Oilers uh, squeaked by the L.A. Kings. Now, that was a scrap. I watched the game last night and I was <laughs> saddened every single time. Uh, the Oilers got a lead uh, until the last like three or four minutes when the game was decided. L.A. managed to creep back in. Um, Carolina finally put away the New York Islanders. The Tampa Bay Lightning came to, well, exhaustion. And the Tampa Bay uh, and the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. They're finally getting themselves a well-earned rest. <laughs> they, as we were saying during the pregame, uh, pre-show, they played effectively an extra season of hockey in the last three or four years. Um, that's that's just not sustainable, particularly when you talk about the talent bleed that uh, that eventually happens. Um, as, I said, as I said, well earned. <laughs> the Devils and Rangers are tied in the are tied in a fantastic series. I don't know. Um, it's a series that. of extremes. Like that is probably the game I'm most looking forward to seeing the rest of the first round. There is a star emerging in that series. There's a couple of stars emerging in that series. Um, if you're talking about Jack Hughes, I would argue that he's already emerged. Nope. Um, if you're talking about Akira Schmid, I would I would wholeheartedly agree. Now, knowing me and knowing what I usually talk about on this show, which one do you think I was thinking of? Akira <laughs> Schmidt. There you go. This guy has shown up. 
He's he's been a genuine delight to watch. Because he's just he's just been efficient. He's like gotten into the net and it's not it's not been super spectacular. I don't think he's been, quite frankly, as boring as as Henrik Lundqvist was to watch or anything like that. But he's not been flashy. He's just been in the right spot. Got a 937 save percentage, 1.72 goals against. He's got a shutout. A three wins, one loss. Basically, they put him in net, and he hasn't let go of it. Who's going to argue with that? He he has just been yes a a picture of economy and that's some of the things we were actually saying about Linus during the regular season and about other goaltenders as well. It just sometimes the playoffs bring the best out of somebody. Sometimes the playoffs cause a flower to wilt. Uh, it, it's been an entertaining series, and I'm not surprised that it's going seven. Uh, no, uh, I, I can't. I can't. Uh, particularly since, quite honestly, the the Devils didn't seem to know how to play hockey in the first two games. I honestly wonder how much of that was... Uh, I realize that you've got guys like Palat on the team that have been there before, but I wonder how much of it is lack of experience or oh, even a little bit of nervousness haven't been to this point. You know, it took them a game or two to settle in. Honestly, I think it took them a game or two to settle in. Then they discovered that Akira Schmid can actually stop the puck. And it's been a wild series since then. But yeah, I think the first couple of games, I think it was less to do about talent or less to do about talent and more to do about just the deer in the head, the deer in the headlights scenario. Once they got past game two and they realized, wait a minute, we're here. <laughs> we can do this. We <laughs> so good for them. Uh, that'll be entertaining to watch. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> uh, what the, one of the stories I really want to talk about is, yeah. is a quick Jack Hughes hit. Sure. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to watch it. It's a short clip that has been circulating for a couple of days after I think it came around on game two. And some people are acting like it's the worst thing that any hockey player has ever said in front of a microphone. Some people are acting like it's their major, like a player's major responsibility to spoon feed uh, the media, great interviews well, it's really not, but it's not. It's their job to go out on the ice to field the parquet and be entertaining by being good at their jobs. Um, 
the whole talking stuff, no, I don't care. Quite frankly, if I if my choices were, you know, interview from every player I want to hear from after every game or never another player interview again, I would choose never another player interview again because 99 percent of them are boring as as can be. Anyways, Jack Hughes is asked about uh, the players talking after the first two games, and he just says, yeah, well, after you got whacked for two games in a row, no one wants to come out here and talk to you guys. And then he just moves on. And it's <laughs> absolutely gorgeous. I did not like, see it's the something clip, that needs to be said. It's, I put that in the same category of Marshan talking about some of the things that were overheard from Kachuk earlier in the series um, and some of the other players where the microphones are picking up what's happening on ice uh, when they're not supposed to. And the players know that the microphones are not supposed to catch them. um, And the press is trying to make a big deal out of it. And Marshan just flat out refuses to engage and shuts them down. And it was, it was beautiful. Yeah, like I said, I had, did not see the clip. I did not hear the comment, but I get fed up with interviewers and, and, and press who get in there and start hammering away on subjects that they're not going to get into. All right, three reporters before you ask the same question and star X, whoever it may be that's getting interviewed, has said they're not going to get into it. But you keep hammering away. Nobody wants to talk about it. Yes, we got waxed. We shouldn't have, you know. I went into de- I went into a little bit of detail, but I don't want to talk about it. We're done with it. We're moving on. Let it go. And as far as microphones picking things up, that's up to the referees who are. I don't know if there are actual mics attached to those cameras around the rink that are. There are to- some. They're supposed to. They're supposed to be like audio effects for when uh, guys take shots or there's hits along the board. Um, there's oh, kind of like microphone. It's kind of like microphones above the basket and basketball. Yes, so you can hear effects. the ball going through the net. Yeah. But as far as the ones that the referees are wearing, they need to know when to turn them on, when to turn them off as it is. Half of them don't remember to turn them on or they, or they they don't work anyway because you can't hear them telling us who's getting what for a call. But when they are on and and it picks up Nathan McKinnon going, what do you mean two minutes? And we'll get into that in a few minutes as well. But it, it, the idea is that that is in-game stuff. It's not meant for, you know, he didn't intend for us to hear him complaining. We can see it on his face, but that wasn't meant for us. That wasn't meant for the press. So stop asking about yeah. it. It's part of the, it's just gamesmanship. It, 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 like, there's, it doesn't matter where you're playing a game. If there's officials involved, they're the third team on the field, on the ice, whatever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes getting in their head is a part of what you do. Sometimes you genuinely believe you don't deserve that penalty or that call or that the other side is getting off, but it's a part of the game. It's not it, – it's just silly, like literally just silly. 
I mean, what's next? Are we going to put microphones in the uh, equipment room and listen to the uh, staff talk about whose jerseys and other laundry comes out smelling the worst? (laughs) What part of hockey or football or whatever is that? Are you genuinely entertained by knowing this player, you know, this player sweats more from their feet than they do from their armpits? No. I don't want to know. I don't care. Laundry detergent. (laughs) First of all, they don't do, they don't wash their own uniforms, but hey. (laughs) Like, literally, just stop. I understand that, you know, you want to get answers. I understand that you want to get the scoop. I've been there, done that. I mean, yeah, you want to be the one that gets that little tidbit of information that nobody else got. But if you're asking the same question that three other reporters asked, and they've already said they don't want to talk about it, it it makes you wonder why John Tortorella acts the way he does with the press. Wonder no more. Granted, he has his fun with the press to begin with. I mean, he likes to use them as his own little uh, marionette to to manipulate. He likes to he likes the strings, and he, <laughs> it, it's beautiful watching him conduct interviews. Sometimes, and sometimes it's not so much fun for the press. So, I just I don't understand it. But good for Jack Hughes for saying something. I'm. It also makes me wonder why players give answers like Linus is like, yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. You know, that's he's he doesn't want to talk about it. And he's trying to be nice and not tell you he doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> Let it go. They're not their Players are not going to talk about injuries. No. They might talk about surgeries that have been healed and they're ready to go. But as we've seen over the years, Player hockey players are not normal. Yeah, and I, I can agree with that one. You're not. You're number one, not going to outstubborn them during the time of an interview, and number two, they don't. They just don't interact with <clears throat> the rest of reality the way that uh, many others do. Uh, and we're that's one of the topics uh, on the board today. Um, I think it's actually been confirmed right uh, as of last night that um, hockey players may not actually be entirely human or human at all. They could be aliens. They could be alien hybrids. Um, Over the course of the years, we've seen guys break their legs and continue shifts. Gregory Campbell. We've seen guys break their fingers or dislocate them and pop them back into place, put their oh, glove on all without ever leaving the bench. Oh, yeah. Uh, we saw Rich Peverly literally die on the bench, get revived, and ask if he could still play. Uh, we've seen Patrice Bergeron play with a collapsed lung. Um I mean, you can go on and on, though. You got Jake DeBrusque, who played in the Winter Classic with a broken leg. Yeah. Um, and and scored two and scored both goals. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's the key thing there. He scored both goals, but 
Most recently, uh, on the pile of probably not entirely human, uh, comes Andrew Cogliano, who admittedly already had a ridiculous Iron Man streak uh, to his career credit, um, where he played through some stuff that even most hockey players would not. And what does he do? He gets mashed by Jordan Eberle, goes down, mm-hmm. goes down the tunnel. Yep. And then comes back for the next period. Sure. Well. Diagnosis? <laughs> I was expecting, you know, okay, maybe a pinched nerve or a couple of bruises, something, something along that order. No. He's got a broken neck. Which he plays exactly the third what? period of the most recent game with a broken neck. But that—that's why you come back out because you've got a broken—you've got a broken neck, and it's not that important that you have a broken neck. It's more important that you win the hockey game. Hey, his hands and feet still work, so you know there's there's time to play. Yes. This as I, as I said as I said in pregame as you put it or pre-show, yeah. First of all, hockey players not normal, not a normal breed. Secondly, I don't think we recognize that like an injury is actually as serious as it may be. <laughs> it's always just yeah, I can still skate, I can get back out there. As I said, you'd have to like literally chop off limbs. And then they'd still try to find some other way to skate. Uh, but would he break a C? Uh, he suffered a fracture of the C5 lamina. I don't know if I'm saying that right. If I'm not, I apologize. I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV. Uh, done for now. Like, <clears throat> I think they're saying out for... <clears throat> Out for game seven is as far as they're willing to go at the moment. So they haven't even ruled him out for the playoffs. This guy is still targeting a return. The issue is that, I mean, with the injuries that this team has had, and they've lost Darren Helm, uh, Josh Manson. Uh, they don't, they haven't had uh, their captain all season. And yet, so they're struggling against a team that you would think that they should have had not the easiest time with, but it it shouldn't be going to a game seven. And yet here Seattle is forcing a game seven. Seattle is not the most talented team. I've said it before, and I firmly stand by it. They are the scrappiest team in the playoffs. They don't know how to quit. They've got play like 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 the Devils. They've got playoff experience. You've got Yanni Gord on that team from Tampa Bay, and whether it's his goal scoring or whatever, the benef- the side benefit is that you've got that Stanley Cup experience from him. There are other players on that team that have been in the playoffs. They're not without their roadmap. It's just that this is a team that's been together for all of two seasons. And they had a lot of turnover between year one and two. 
I mean, yes, Grubauer is, is the goaltender. He's got playoff experience. I mean, I am a little surprised that they've gone to seven. I thought that it would most likely be Colorado in five or six. But but that's I mean, that's assuming that, you know, Makar doesn't get suspended and that everyone stays healthy and neither of those things has happened. I mean, the truism in well, one of the billion truisms of war is that it doesn't decide who's right. It just decides who's left. And that's the NHL playoffs to to uh, to a T. I mean, the healthiest team at the end of the playoffs is usually the one that's hoisting the cup. And right now, the abs, I don't I mean, I didn't like their odds greatly for repeating uh, in the first place, but. You know, with these injuries, I don't know if they continue. I mean, okay, do I expect them to win in game seven? Yes. Do I expect them to win in the second round? No. Well, their second round opponent is going to be Dallas. Dallas was the most consistent team in the Western Conference all year. All year. You've got to worry about Jake Ottinger, who's... Found his game. Again. He's not only found his game, he's comfortable. Yes. Like, he's not, he just looks like there's no other place on earth that he should be than within a, within a skate, within a stride of this, of the crease. Um, it, it's great to watch. He's having himself a decent playoffs. I will give him that. The question I have for you is, with Makar's one-game suspension, because he hit Jared McCann, the hit that Everly put on Cogliano, and and this is where I said the two minutes thing is going to come up again, but Nathan McKinnon was heard on the microphone saying two minutes. Should they have at least given Eberly a five minute? Because then you can review it and reduce it to two minutes. I mean, it, did the hit appear to you like it should have been a five minute major at the very least, and then and then review it? I literally don't know because I watched. I did not see it in context. You know, a minute of running game, but I watched the I watched the guys on the show. Um, you had Biz, Carter, and uh, what is it, Armstrong? Uh, Colby Armstrong's been there. Yeah. Yeah. So those three. Biz is like two minutes. Like one of them is like two minutes. One of them is like a five in a game. And the other one's like, yeah, you should have been you should have been suspended. And Everly didn't even get a call uh, from the office on it. Nope. Um, so it's not clear cut. This was not a case of ever of uh, Cogliano turning at the last second. It was a case where he was just flat out hit from behind. Um, so that leans me towards maybe a, a actual five, maybe not five and the game, but maybe five. Um, but it's you're talking about three guys who played in the league. And it wasn't none of them had like a cup of coffee where they only played 10 games. Um I I just feel it, it was definitely a penalty. 
Uh, yeah, they, they and they called a two-minute boarding penalty, which I, I it was I thought was I thought it was a joke. I thought it should have been a five. Just watching it, I mean, I don't know if he's gonna. I don't know if he should have got a call from the offices, but I think it should have been a. I think it should have been a major boarding. That was just personal opinion from what I saw. I didn't see it live, so. I mean, whether we want to admit it or not, per, uh, reputation comes into it. And Jordan Everly has no more of a reputation for dirty and, and dirty or vicious hits than Patrice Bergeron does. So if Brad Marchand had made that hit, he would have been off the ice. It would have been two it would have been five ten and the league office would have said, Yeah, we'll see you in October. Um That might have that would have been overkill. That would have it, been that would have been wrong as happened. well. It still would have happened. Um, if it had been Radko Gudis, it would have been five immediately. If it had been, I think even if it had been Ovechkin, who's known for some big, big hits, he probably would have gotten five in a game. So even though I don't think Ovechkin, again, I don't think Ovechkin is a dirty player. I, I mean, if you asking me who plays dirtier Ovechkin or Crosby, I'm going to tell you it's Crosby every single time <laughs> and not listen to any arguments the other way. Uh, that said, you look at the if you're looking at any single element of it, you can make the call either way. Like, are you he didn't come from a huge distance, okay. but it's definitely on the numbers from behind. Is it a big, clearing, like, brutal hit? No, it's not. Um, I can understand why the call was made, as it was. I can understand people being upset that it wasn't a greater call. And you know what? All I really want is for Cogliano to be healthy uh, the next time he takes the ice. I agree with that. And... and I just think that, and, and to put my own tidy bow on it and finish this up, I think that this is a situation where, because they have the option to reduce, I think they could have gone with or should have gone with the five minute and then go back and review it. Because then they can see, you know what? He didn't take strides. You know what? He was gliding. It was only four feet. It was, you know. In the moment, you're you're looking at it, and it's bang bang, and and hockey is a very fast game. The, the other, the other now, part of it is the puck was there. It wasn't like they were the puck was sixty feet away. It was in, it was a stupid hockey play, but it was a hockey play. Okay. I, I just think that this would have been I think that in this case that would have been the uh, that would have been the the option to take. Uh, I'm not saying it's right every time. Most of the time, yes, for expediency, you just make the call and be done with it. I think this one needed a little bit more looking at. I, I can live with that. I mean, I I think that I think that the league has come to rely too much on on um reviews. And looking at the Bruins game um, the other night, I have been saying this for half a decade or more. 
there needs to be like a five second rule on some of these calls that reverse goals. I've been saying that about the whole offsides crap for since the time they changed that since the time they they put in reviewing it is that you need to, if that puck goes in and they have possession for 20 seconds, I'm sorry, the offside no longer had an effect on the fact that they scored a goal. (laughs) The slowest player in the league can skate a complete lap of the, of the rink in 20 seconds. Yeah. I'm in horrible shape and can barely skate and my knees are terrible. I could st- I could probably still make it in 25. There is nothing, nothing, unless unless you can prove that someone substituted a remote controlled puck onto the ice in place of the real puck that needs to be that needs to be counted as impactful 20 seconds later. I'm not even sure 10 seconds later. Because literally anyone from the furthest corner of the rink to the bench can make a can make a change in that time, and have the other person get in zone, um, in that same time. Just no, like whether it's thing 15 is, seconds or the, the thing is the letter. The thing is the letter of the law says that he touched it with his glove. First of all, he was trying to get up. He, he, he was trying to get up. He wasn't even attempting to touch, and the puck grazed one finger on his glove. And he's he's not even he wasn't even aiming for the puck. He's trying to get his glove under his stick. <laughs> I, I just thought like this is one of those. If you want, if you're going to review stuff, if you're going to have it, review in, if you're going to have review in place. Then you review. I mean, you can clearly see that the intent was not to move the puck along. Because his hand is moving away from the puck. It's not moving towards the puck. It's moving up and towards his stick. I, I just I just don't get this. Um, before Granted, we dive that's, into. That's not the worst thing. That, that's not the worst thing about that game. But <laughs> there's. I'm sure we'll get into it later. (laughs) Before we just dive into the Bruins series, uh, I wanted to talk about some of the other stuff going on in and around. Yeah. Um, So uh, we put up a poll over the course of the week. Um, I think this poll is amazingly accurate for a change. Um, It started off the other way. Um. Who has the most to lose by losing this series? Uh, the New York Rangers or the New Jersey Devils? Hmm. Who has the most to lose? Correct. I think. I think the I think the Rangers have more to lose in this one. I think that they've invested a little bit more in the win now. I think that the Devils are actually ahead of schedule. I mean, they've got a lot of youth on that team. I think that their their window for coming back, their window for coming back to the playoffs next season and the season after that. I think that the Rangers have way more to lose. You've invested in getting Tarasenko, Kane. You've brought it. You've expended some capital to bring in big names to make a deep playoff run. So if they were to lose in game, I think that this is a bigger loss for them than it is for the Devils. 
I think that this is one of the easiest poll questions I've put up in a while, and you're you're exactly right. Uh, the Rangers did go; they went hard for this. Uh, they went hard for this playoff run. I think they. I think the front office genuinely believes, uh, or at least believed at the time, that they could go ahead and win. Um, you're also looking at, at the fact that you've got. Uh, you've got your core signed up there uh, for uh, for a couple more years. It's still a fairly short window when you look at the fact that they're. For, I mean, their forwards are signed for another three seasons. Panarin's been a Jad Grider. Um, you have three more seasons from all of them plus Trocheck uh, before you start losing guys, or at least their contracts come up. But the defense is where this becomes complicated for them because Nico Mikola, UFA at the end of the year, K. Andre Miller, RFA, um, Lieber Hajek, uh, RFA, arbitration eligible. Um, you do have three goaltenders, uh, so you got two of them coming back next year. You are getting a little bit of, of cap money back, but You've got 17 players signed, and you only have 10 million to fill the rest and leave yourself space for injuries next year. Um, and whether you're replacing them directly or replacing them with um, or trying to extend them, Tarasenko, Kane, Tyler Mott, uh, Lafreniere—they're going to take. It's going to take money. Uh, guys don't play for free. Um, that ten million isn't isn't a lot of money to go around. Wow, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, for the Devils, I mean, Tom Fitzgerald has built a machine. Uh, does he have some work to do this summer? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, Jesper Bratt, RFA, uh, Tima Meyer, RFA, uh, Igor uh, Sharonkovich, RFA. Makes me McLeod. wonder if they're going to keep Timo Meyer. What? I said it makes me wonder if they're going to try and re-sign Timo Meyer. Uh, McLeod, Boquist, and Bastion, all RFAs. And then UFAs, you've got Tatar, Wood, and uh, Hala up front. Um, I suspect they try and keep Tatar. I'm almost certain they're going to try and keep Wood. Uh, you got the longest tenured um, member of the team, Severson, uh, as a UFA. He's played well. Ryan Graves, are a UFA. And then Kevin Ball is an RFA, but I don't think it's he's going to break the bank. Um, and it's really... <laughs> then, you get, then you've got the... the the goaltending, uh, the three-headed monster down there, and right now the only one I'm sure of is that Akira Schmidt is the the the, the best deal in hockey at the moment. <laughs> and that's the thing this 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 off season may have solved that problem for them, um, or this postseason because Akira Schmidt has come in and done everything necessary. So I if mean, he wins in Game Seven. He's your. He should be your starting goaltender when the season opens this fall. So, so 
just out of curiosity, which one do you try and deal? Do you deal the 27-year-old Vanacek or do you deal I, the 26-year-old? I, hmm? I think you just listen to offers. Oh, okay. I mean, for me, I would probably try and keep Vanacek. Um, Mackenzie Blackwood's injury history, it, it's worrisome. Um, it is. I, I think that when he, we both know when he's healthy, he's great uh, for that team. And this, I know he's a Bruins killer. I know. <laughs> and this playoff run has done great thing. Is a good thing for that blue line. I mean, I'm starting to worry about. Well, actually, Dougie Hamilton has looked better this year than he has in the past two years, at least in terms of mobility. I don't know if he had something done in the offseason or not, but he had been noticeably slowing down for three or four years. I don't know that he's faster, but he's certainly not out of position as much. Um, but I think this has been a, the most interesting series because the topography of it, the landscape, the balance, the composition of games has been so wildly different. Uh, across each game, you had those first two games where it was just a Rangers. I mean, the Rangers were looked as stressed as you know they do at an, as, as you might expect at a potluck supper, um, and the Devils were basically on the ice with them. Um, and then you get to Game Three, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the second period, the light came. You could see the light coming on in the heads of the Devils players, and it was like wait, we know who these guys are. We know who we are. We can play this game. And it was, it was fun to watch. Um, and I will retweet this just after we finish. Um, a bunch of fans are being fans at, at the game and start yelling at Kyle Dubas uh, after O'Reilly had hit point. Okay. Kyle Dubas is up in the booth, um, and he just lets loose. I don't know what they said to him. I don't know. I don't know how long it went on. It was something personal, something about the team. But Dubas opened fire, and whatever was said, they stopped. (laughs) Like, you can tell that they stopped, because, like, half of the section visible in this video, and this was uh, tweeted by the Kirken Tobers um, on the 22nd, Half of the section just turns around and looks at him, and it's glorious. Like, people are saying that he's, oh, being unprofessional. Look, you attack someone, you should expect them to treat you at least as badly. That's simple. Whether you attack with words or you attack with other means, you cross lines. So Dubas yelled at other people. 
You should expect other people to return fire. So Dubis yelled at Tampa Bay fans because they were expressing their displeasure at Ryan O'Reilly hitting Braden Point. Well, they were yelling at him after the Ryan O'Reilly hit because, you know, Ryan, uh, because that's what general managers do is they have a they have a little microphone that says uh, into each player's ear. And they say, yeah, go out right now, right now and lay out that guy with a dirty head. For people who didn't know that before, it's the truth. Maybe I shouldn't be uh, pulling back the curtain and opening the forbidden door. But there it is. It's the absolute truth. So the the Tampa – okay, the Tampa Bay fans were yelling at Kyle Dubas. Yes. For Ryan O'Reilly hitting Braden Braden Point. Point. Okay. Because – So we had some – we had some – I'm going to guess because I don't know for certain, but I'm going to guess. But we had some fans who were probably enjoying adult beverages. That's uh, that's a, that's a possibility. Yelling at the general manager of the team with the had the player that hit the other player. Yeah. So they were expressing their displeasure, and Dubas took offense to this? I think they took offense to them, him. I think Dubas took offense to them yelling at him. Okay, I'm going to say three words. Get thicker skin. It's fans. They're watching their team, unfortunately, lose. Or I don't know what they were doing at that particular moment in time, but their team is struggling. And they're expressing their displeasure, whether the alcoholic beverages had anything to do with it or not, because I don't sit in my house and drink. But I'll tell you, if my TV could talk, if the four walls in my living room could talk, the things they would tell you that I said they were they were upset. Get over it to turn. I mean, what did Dubas do? Because it says class. The headline here says classy and I have not watched the video. I'm sure I will. Once we're done, I don't want to interrupt the show to it watch. Just talks the video. back to them. Look, if you if they don't want people to say unkind things to them, they shouldn't start it. Period. That's like saying that. At the bean pot, Harvard shouldn't start giving Boston University crap because they don't want to get it back. Have you you've been in the building with me? They yes. give each other crap and they take it and they give it and they take it. Yes. It, it's it's part of the it's part of the the dichotomy the 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 it's diatribe that goes on. And if whoever <laughs> doesn't like Dubas replying to fans, you know, don't watch it. Just say okay, it. I just I just think that it, 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 so the whole point of it, I mean, are we trying to pinpoint? Are we trying to point out here that Dubas is a good guy or that? I'm not saying he's good or bad. I'm just oh, okay. saying that when you attack someone, you should expect repercussions. When you yeah. take an action, you accept the consequences of those actions when they happen. 
if you're not part of that action, your opinion pretty much doesn't matter. So were the Tampa – wait, wait, wait. Were the Tampa Bay fans hurt that he re- he responded? I I didn't <laughs> go that deeply into the Twitter history of the Kirkin Tobers. I'm, I'm just curious who needs the thicker skin now. I was thinking Dubas needed the thicker skin, but maybe it's the Tampa Bay fans. Maybe the, um, the adult beverages thinned out there oh, outside. Yes. There, it's definitely a Tampa Bay fan. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, or I, fans, and as I said they, earlier, you would be right in assuming that adult beverages were involved, considering that there's, <laughs> I don't know, seventy percent of the pictures in the first, uh, in the first page or so of. Of them have at least one variety of uh, libation in them. Okay. Should we be using big words like libations? And uh, this is why I didn't use the word inebriated because I didn't want to confuse anybody. <laughs> I have faith in our listeners. That that's true. I should have more faith. I apologize to everybody listening. I will have more faith in the future. Uh, but just no. I just like, think. Seriously, of every single GM coming into this postseason, Kyle had the most to lose, I think. Except you know, like, for maybe. That's the thing. He except, has the most to lose. He's going to be the most on edge. Just, except for maybe Sweeney. But even then. Even over Sweeney. Yeah, I think, that, I think that if they didn't make it out of the first round, Dubas was probably done. Dubas would, Dubas would have been told to catch a cab from, uh, like, to just get out. Oh, like, they, by the time he got really, back to, to the building, his stu- his office would have already been cleared out. They're gonna, get, they're gonna give him the the Gerard Gallant treatment. Oh man, that's harsh. <laughs> um, the poor man. Before, Gerard Gallant treatment. Oof. Before we wait, dive wait. into the Bruins and yeah, that series. Wait. Oh yeah, look, they have no picks. Like they literally have one pick in the first four rounds come June. The, uh, for t- uh, Toronto, yeah, they yeah. there's literally nothing. The, the cupboards, nothing the cupboards are bare. They really, they. You want to talk about a team that has sold out for this year? Yeah, they have. They sold don't out. have a first round pick this year. They don't have a second round pick. Well, they no. have the Bruins they first round Bruins pick first this round year. Pick. Yep. They don't have a second round pick for each of the next three drafts. They don't have their first rounder in 2025. Um, yeah. I think got, even the Bruins are in slightly better draft position. They got they got they got three picks. No, the Bruins those. don't have their second round for each of the next three years either. It, Toronto no, Toronto has definitely sold sold out for this year. So yeah, I think they well have sold the cabinets. <laughs> I think they sold the cabinets. Yeah, the cabinets, the dishes, the there's still a have, sink, but uh, now they might have sink, some but They might have sold the faucet. Yeah. Wow, Kyle. <laughs> he was really hoping they got out of the first round. <laughs> wow. And, they did. They actually did it. They put away the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, last they, night. They put a, they put away a team that has played four seasons in the last three. Okay. Um, 
And Mitch Marner was a really big part of that. Uh, a guy who in Toronto for the, what the first three years of his career, they were saying, Oh, he's soft. He can't play. He's not a playoff player. Get rid of him. Yeah. In fact, I saw that nonsense even up through the, through the last month of the season. Uh, Well, they're, they're through to the second round. So now it's a whole new set of whole new set of worries for Kyle Dubas. How deep can they go? That's, that's a question that depends on who their next opponent is uh, as much as anything else. Um, So I'm going to read off some interesting stuff to you, or at least some stuff. Okay. 477 NHL games, 12 goals, 12 assists, 1,186 penalty minutes, 19 playoff games with no points and 48 penalty minutes. John Scott? Uh, Nope. I think John Scott actually had better uh, playoff numbers. Okay. Um, Um, But I know know it's not Louis DeBrusque because I'm pretty sure he scored like 17 goals. I don't Um, even think Louis DeBrusque scored as much as as many goals as this. Um, I I think John Scott actually had more more regular season points. No, actually, John Scott didn't even play as many games. I'm trying to think of who else is is a goon. Well, and then I'm sorry. It's not even goon. It's enforcer. I want to use the no, 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 no. In in 2009, 2010, long after the age or at the dying edge of the age of the goon, he had 239 penalty minutes. You can go ahead and call this one a goon. Okay. Uh, And yeah. And yeah. Yeah, Go ahead. There's a chance that this guy could be behind an NHL bench uh, in a couple of years. As what? A fighting coach? As he could be a head coach in the NHL in a few years. He could be a head case. I'm sorry. What did you say? (laughs) Well, April 19th. I'm, this trying year. To, I'm still trying to figure out who we're talking about. Uh, Nick Tarnaski. Colton Orr is going to be a coach. He is the he's been the head coach of the Connecticut Whale for the last several years. Um, he was named prior to the start of the 1920 season. Um, he's accumulated a regular season record of 33, 33 and six and a three, four and one postseason record. He's been an integral part of the club's success. Um, they, he coached the team to a regular season uh, title um, and uh, then a record-setting 15 regulation wins and an appearance in the Isabel Cup final. Damn. Looking at his numbers as a player in the NHL. I didn't know he was coaching. <laughs> I mean, then again, Paul Mara coaches the Boston Pride, so um, it's no surprise that former hockey players are coaching in the league. But I'm just—it's Colton Orr. I mean, I wouldn't have guessed that he'd be a head coach at, of anything except maybe I don't know, like down at Southern Professional Hockey League, maybe. <laughs> 
WWE Hockey League? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I, I've pulled up the story that you're referring to, and, and this quote is what gets me right here. <clears throat> now, these are words I never thought I'd be speaking about, Colton Orr. Oh, I know quote, what you're talking about already. Quote, Coach Orr is a top-notch coach in the structure, culture, and professionalism he brings to the rink sets the tone for our organization on the ice. Knowing that Coach Orr will be on board for our next two years of growth ensures that our players will get the best coaching and be able to develop their skills and their ability to be full-time hockey players. Holy cow! <laughs> Who is like, this guy, and what did he do with Colton Orr? <clears throat> and this is why I believe, and that quote, uh, that quote there is part of why I believe that he genuinely could be behind an NHL bench uh, two or three years down the line. If he can go out and win an Isabel Cup or get another team there, maybe make a stop back in the OHL as a head coach there or the AHL or even college hockey, he's got a pretty good shot at landing in back in the NHL if he wants to. Off the ice, Orr has helped cultivate an organizational culture rooted in competitiveness, hard work, and integrity across the board and has played an integral role in attracting and retaining top talents, such as Kennedy Marchman, Ali Monroe, and Taylor Girard to the club. Wow. And you know the two franchises that immediately jump to mind in terms of going after him? Uh, one of them we're going to talk about their current head coach in a moment. Um, and the second one, in terms of coaching style, he sounds exactly like their current coach. Winnipeg Jets, Carolina Hurricanes. See. Two small market teams where the culture is a huge part of what attracts people because there's not as much to do there as there is in other places. Um, and I think that it's not going to surprise me if he gets pulled in to be someone's assistant uh, coach uh, or even just jump straight to a head coach uh, in the NHL job within the next five years. It'll literally not going to surprise me at all. Wow. I'm I'm still I'm I'm still trying to get past the shock of organizational culture, competitive hard work, integrity. Wow. I think that I think that yeah, based on the way that Ann Tokarski and I follow I do follow her on I actually do follow her on Twitter. Um she is actually a very good writer. Uh I've enjoyed reading stuff she's put out in the past and she covers the Connecticut whale. And I mean, for her to be making statements like that. Yeah. I think he's got every opportunity to coach. And I think starting in a small market makes absolute sense. And the quote quote that you, uh, that you read. Yeah. That was from the Connecticut whale owner, Tobin Kelly. It wasn't just, it wasn't the PR person. It wasn't the general manager uh, making a fluff statement. It wasn't the assistant equipment guy or gal. It was the owner, the person writing the checks. 
is saying this about the coach who spent most of his career dropping in the penalty box. box and in the penalty box. Yeah. Good for him. Hey, I like seeing, I like seeing feel good stories. I like seeing guys who can take, I'm going to make a statement and it kind of applies to most sports, not just hockey, but it seems like the guys who aren't the superstars are always the ones that make the best coaches. Yeah. I, I mean, baseball, for example, the, the Red Sox won the World Series in 2018. They had hired Joey Cora as their or Alex Cora. Excuse me. Joey was his brother. Alex Cora as their manager. Alex, I mean, career wise, it was all right. It wasn't anything. He wasn't what you'd call a superstar. He was all right. He was a, 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 a an infielder that platooned with other guys. I mean, he, he had some starting gigs, but it, nothing like mega stardom or anything like that. But yet he's gone and won a World Series. I mean, it seems like the coaches and in baseball, it's a lot of catchers who don't get recognition as much either. It just seems like the good, the best coaches always seem to be the ones that had the mid-level careers. They weren't the superstars. I mean, you look at Wayne Gretzky as a head coach. Terrible. He was bad. Yeah, he was bad. <clears throat> but you look at guys. I mean, look at the look at the coaches around the league now. I mean, you take Rick Bonus. Julian was not a great NHL player. Jim Montgomery, um, I think his best years were actually at University of Maine. Absolutely, uh, and you could you could make that case about another of other players. And I think, and you know, just watching Viz in the studio be the best analyst, eight out of ten shows. And he really has improved his game on the mic. And a couple of years ago, I would not have been saying that. But I think now what it he, comes down to is the guys, not that the guys with the ridiculous talent, the McDavid's and the Gretzky's and the Crosby's and the Ovechkin's and the Oars didn't get there without working for it. But guys like Paul Bichonette and Chris Kelly and... Jim Montgomery, and I think there's two things that made that make uh, make these guys stick in the NHL or even get there in the first place. It's not pure raw athleticism like you occasionally see um, guys who are incredible athletes but don't understand the game at all. Um, for these guys, I think that a the fact that they understand the game allows them to eliminate mistakes, which honestly has in sports become more important than making good plays a lot of the time uh, for anyone outside the superstars. Uh, and then B, because they're not relied upon as heavily, they're not playing as many minutes as guys at that top level. They get to hear the coaches talk more. They get analysis and breakdown of the game 
from, you know, head coaches, assistant coaches, you know, out of the 60 minutes in a game, a guy like Paul Bissonette was on the bench for 55 minutes, 50 minutes, you know, almost every game of his career uh, at the NHL level and probably, you know, still 30, still 40 or 42 minutes, 48 minutes um, at, at other levels. That extra time, it's it's basically going to college and getting your master's in hockey uh, while you're playing the game. If you're, you know, actually paying attention. Yeah. I think that it's the guys, it's the, the, the middle six players, the, the bottom six forward, the, the defensemen, the guys who aren't always focused on being out there 27, 30 minutes a night, but it's the guys who get a chance to study the game while they're sitting on the bench. The guys who study the game and figure out they have to figure out how to make the game work for them. That they're the ones that seem to be the better head coaches, the ones who are more cerebral. And I'm not saying that Connor McDavid isn't cerebral, but I mean, I don't think that Drew Doughty is going to be a great head coach when his career is done. I mean, he spent so much time on the ice focusing on doing everything. I think that it's those guys who get to spend more time studying the game. Exactly. Uh, And I think that it's an under under underappreciated aspect of the game. Um, So when when two or three years from now, Colton Orr is standing behind the bench of an NHL team. You heard it here first. Okay, let's dive into the Bruins series. Uh, do we want to start with the most recent game or just review the whole series? Oh, I did. How much how much time do we have? I guess is the the. Let me start. Um, okay, I'm, so I'm thinking. Game? Yeah, I'm thinking the most recent. I mean, the most recent most game recent is game just they put Clifton and Clifton back in. Forward. Clifton was dumb. The charging penalty, the pass, they were not great. Forbert, on the other hand, played his worst game is in a Bruins uniform. His worst game in a Bruins uniform. Period. McAvoy and Pasternak still had turnovers, although not as egregiously and not as many. And whatever else you can say about him the rest of the series, the rest of the season. I don't think this was I think this was probably Linus Olmark's worst game as a Boston Bruin, too. I think that's partly because he's got an injury that they're not talking about. I don't know whether it's hip or a groin issue. But watching him attempt to get up or control his lateral movements, there's something there. There's something there. He is Um, taking a beating, though. But going back to the previous two losses, and I'm more worried about those two games than I am about this game, about game six, um, Pasternak and McAvoy were both egregiously awful 
in those games. <laughs> Egregiously awful. To the point where in other leagues, and we're not we're not going to see it here, or we're not going to hear it, but in other leagues, people would be talking about point shaving and gambling debts in terms of how bad and where the where the turnovers were. Okay. Like there I, I I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying it's that bad, that blatant, that so far off of good sense that it makes you wonder, even with zero zero other evidence. They were horrible. Um and they those two if those two had played well in the first two losses, one of those games, if they had played one of those games well, the Bruins would have won that game, and we wouldn't be heading into a game seven. So as much as I am annoyed with Montgomery for not putting Swayman in for at least one of these games, If you're asking me who I'm putting the most blame for this series on, when it comes down to players on the ice, you can immediately remove Taylor Hall and Brad Marchand and Jake DeBrusque uh, from any questions or considerations as to blame, because those three have been, those guys have been wearing the bloody cape the whole series. Taylor Hall has been a superstar. Brad Marchand has been a superstar. Jake DeBrusque has been woefully underappreciated and under-talked about. I gave you I gave you the other name that you need to add to that list. Um, and I'll let you talk about that person in a second. Okay. But if you're asking me who I blame for the series going to seven games and for the fact that there's – game sevens are a coin flip. They are, period. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, if they lose this series – Linus Allmark is only about the third or fourth on the list in terms of guys on the ice because Pasternak is seventh in scoring on the Bruins. Seventh. There are six other guys who have more points than him. Did we just give him an $11 million contract? He still has zero assists six games into the playoffs. And I realize that's not what he's paid for, but they come as a part of doing things right. Omar has an assist. Oh <laughs> um, and Charlie McAvoy, you can put either one of those as two. And I think that, you know, you have to look at Lindholm because he's not played at the Norris quality level that he played 85% of the season. I think you genuinely have to put those three in there. Um, and then... I mean, if you we were putting an ordered list, I have those three ahead of everyone, and then that's the, this is this this is the point where you put either Montgomery or Allmark next because I I cannot unless unless Swayman is injured himself, there's no reason that he shouldn't have taken Game Five because. Allmark has not looked good. Has not looked normal and healthy this entire series. Go ahead. All right, Game Seven. 
game uh, game six, excuse me. First of all, you're right. Sort of. Swayman should have started a game. Swayman should have started game six. I understand why Omar started game five. You give your number one the chance to close out the 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 round. That being said, Omar has played in back to back games now six times. Uh, he hasn't done that all season long. What I don't understand is where the team that played during the regular season has gone to. They took vacation and replaced themselves with I don't know what. Because, as you said, Hampus Lindholm not playing like the Norris Trophy candidate that he sh- that he has been all season. You sit Connor Clifton for three games healthy scratch because you want Grizzlick in there. And that's fine. I, I have nothing against Grizzlick. You and I talk about it all the time, but I think you need to stick with, because you put Connor Clifton back in, hasn't played in three games. You're expecting a little bit of rust. Mental mistakes were ridiculous. But the one guy that I want to talk about and is an acquisition that we weren't even expecting. I mean, I would, I've talked about Tyler Bertuzzi from his time with the Red Wings because I follow the Red Wings. I like the Red Wings. This is a guy who Taylor made to be a Bruin has given his all. Have you seen some of these go? I mean, he's skating in one direction, reaching back and tipping shots into the net from the opposite side. I mean, I literally love everything that Tyler Bertuzzi has done since getting to Boston. His vision on the ice is – and even I didn't know that it was that good. I mean, having watched Red Wings games and seen him play, I thought he was more of a goal scorer. The way he distributes the puck and the way he he sees and knows where players are – and I have I can't take all the credit for this because I watched post-game of, of six or whatever where Bertuzzi is actually playing in the bumper position and you could see him literally just – glance his head to see who's behind him so that when he gets the puck, he doesn't have to turn his body. He can just shovel it behind him, knowing that pasta's on the other side to score the empty net or the open netter. He's Mm -hmm. a student of the game and everybody thinks that he's again, like Marchand, he's just some kind of uh, agitator. That's a nice way to put it. Yes. I like that. Thank you. Agitator. But clearly there's more to his game, and clearly there was much more to Marshawn's game because, uh, I don't know, is he going to be a Hall of Famer? I think he's pretty close. If he's not in, I don't know if he'll be unanimous because of his other antics, but his talent should get him in. Another argument for another time. I don't even want to have that argument because I think (laughs) – I'm just – it's not clear cut at, at today, and I don't know that his antics are enough. His, his antics have not crossed into the criminal, and okay. because of that, I have a hard time disallowing anyone, given how many actual criminals have made it into Hall of Fames in various sports. This is very true. Just to finish my finish my little rant, Omar, yes, 
I think there's something wrong with him. I've been raving about him all season long. And you know what? He's still my guy. I'm not. There's something wrong. And Montgomery should have put Swayman in in game six. It was a mistake yes. to it was a mistake to wait until game seven. And now he is going to put him in. Uh, at least that's my guess is that we will see Swayman in that tonight. He should have started him in game six. Worst come to worst, they still lose game six. But now you've given Allmark a couple of days rest for game seven. If you put Allmark in again tonight after the game six that he had, he's been playing all. I don't think you're doing him or the rest of the team a service. No. Um, And looking at the other side of the series. As much as I think that the top of the Bruin, well, as much as I think that the four guys we talked about have been great, amazing, and even better than that. Where is Trent Frederick? Um, the Panthers remind me of Tommy Cross era Boston College. <laughs> and I, I hadn't that. thought of that. <laughs> Why? Because that was the most consistently counterpunch hockey team I have ever seen. I completely forgot about that. And yes, it was. When the Bruins have made a mistake this postseason, Matthew Kachuk has been there. Brandon Brandon Montour has been there. Sam Reinhardt and Sam Bennett have been there. And Andrew Listerinen may well have caused the mistake in the first place. Um, I, I have talked, I spent the last decade talking about the Bruins should have gone after Reinhardt and Bennett. I've said it about one of them. I've said it about both of them. The two Sams just, they play hockey the right way. Matthew Kachuk, if I didn't already adore the way that he plays hockey, I would love it. Even though he's playing against my team. Uh, there's just nothing wrong with it. Uh, I think he's taken a few liberties with Olmark. He's taken liberties with Olmark, but that he's hardly the first hockey player to do it. And he, the absolute passion and skill that he plays with is just, it's what hockey is for. Someone, uh, I think someone called him the best American. I think it was the best American in the league right now or the best American in the playoffs. Find me someone better. Find me someone better. American wise. uh... Someone said Matthews and I'm like, eh, maybe, but no. Mm, no, I, I, I think as far as in this situation, the complete package, you're not going to find somebody. Can you find? Uh, a, can a you Jack find Hughes? a guy who's better at a thing? Maybe can you find a Jack Hughes. Can you find a Patrick Kane? Yes. But I think as far as complete package goes. I think the best American currently, yeah, would have in the playoffs is Matthew Kachuk. 
I would have to and, agree. And realistically, if you're if you're looking for a number two, I would probably put either Adam Fox or Chris Kreider ahead of him, ahead of Matthews. And you know, it's kind of hard to ignore what Jason Robertson's been doing. I love Jason Robertson. I do like Jason Robertson. Dallas is going to be an interesting team. Dallas is going to be handful. (laughs) They are dangerous. As far as the, yeah, Dallas is going to be, they've got guys who can put the puck in the net. You've got Rope Hinch, you've got Jason Robertson, you've got Sagan and Ben are, are starting to play a little bit better. I don't know if they're expecting Pavelski back or if he's come back yet, which is just going to (laughs) add fuel to the fire. (laughs) Yeah, Dallas is going to be. But as far as the Bruins, they need to get past tonight. And it's funny because I found this article, uh, Pluto Shinzawa of The Athletic, formerly of the Boston Globe. uh, seven seven things that they should do. Number one, give Swayman the game seven net. I don't know if you have a choice at this point. I don't know if that's a choice or if you kind of have to. I mean, I have confidence in him. They want the you know he and Elmark won the Jennings Trophy, best goaltending tandem in the league. Yes, he's. It's not like you're taking a step from uh, Ken Dryden to um, Red Light Rassico. <laughs> Andre Rassico, Red Light Rassico, he, Mr. Sunburn on the back of his neck because the red light came on so much. You know, it, it, these guys are top tier goaltenders. Um, number two, put Grizzly back in for Clifton. Thoughts? Honestly, I would flip Orlov out and put Grizzly back in. And I would put. I can't not play Grizzly and McAvoy together in this game. If they're both in the game, they should be playing together because that is when McAvoy plays his best and when there's someone who knows what he's going to do regardless of whether it's the right thing, the wrong thing, or the McAvoy thing, on the ice with him to cover up for it. I would, I would sit Orlov. Um, I, I think I can't imagine Cliffy having two games that bad in a row. Just to just because now I don't know if I'm going to say I, I love stroking your ego, but sent a sentence from. Pluto, Grizzly will have to take shifts against Matthew Kachuk. The Bruins have to live with that. Grizzly and Charlie McAvoy are at their best when they're blunting rushes up the ice and preventing in-zone chances from happening. That is the most effective way to keep Kachuk from making his usual impact. They do need to play together. You and I discussed this. What was it last week? Yes, uh, I I said the thing that will that has in pro- has probably irritated a great number of McAvoy fans and that Grizzly McAvoy <laughs> looks the best when he plays with Grizzly. Grizzly looks great all the time when he's healthy. 
Yes. McAvoy looks his best when he's playing with Grizzly. I don't understand. I, I don't know what it is. I understand they played this. I understand they played together at BU. Maybe that's where it started. Maybe it's their style of game. Whatever it is, yes, Charlie McAvoy plays a better brand of hockey when he's teamed up with Matt Grizzly. There's a synergy there that is probably about the same level as the Bergeron um, Marchand synergy. And it's number three. Keep going. Get Pasternak the puck. No, that's not the deal. Number four. Remind Lindholm he's a Norris contender. Do we think he's forgotten this? Um, I think he's, I think in some part Lindholm has gotten caught up in the moment. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but he still doesn't have that much playoff experience. Uh, Well, he spent his entire career with Anaheim. He's got 65 games, but... Prior to the four games they play, he played in last year with Boston, he hadn't seen the playoffs since the 17-18 season, and then it was only four games there. Um, I I don't know if he's adjusted to playing in the playoffs yet. I think that I, I don't know. I, I think okay. you put him with Carlo, you put you put uh, McAvoy and Grizzly back together. You sit Orlov and you put Clifton and Forbert together and hope that, you know, everyone pulls their heads out of their backsides. I that's that's the six pack that got you to the dance. I don't I was going to say, I don't think I don't know that I agree about. I think that they should sit him. I, I, he hasn't. Has he had a game off? They may have given him a game off. Has Orlov oh, had a game off yes. since we've acquired him? They, about a month ago, yeah. I know that when they acquired him, the whole thing was, ah, oh, now other people are going to have to spend time as a healthy scratcher on the, on the seventh level or whatever. You know, I'm sorry. This is a guy who wasn't with the team. I understand that you paid a lot of draft capital to acquire him, but that doesn't mean that you abandon what got you from the beginning of the season to the trade deadline as the number one team in the league. Yeah. As the number one team. Yes. As the number one team in the league. So yes, I think that they could and probably should sit or love and give him a break and see it. But I don't know that they're actually going to do that. I think that he's going to be in and they're probably going to do what he says here and sit Clifton because of what happened in game six. Fifth point, enough with the line changes. No, I mean, okay. And Do by I line- love seeing Frederick, who has been criminally misused or unused? Um, has he been in? I mean, he's been in playoff games. Would He played in the playoffs last year and the year before. and He hasn't played in this playoffs? I thought he was in the like game no, he, he played four games this this series. Uh, he okay. doesn't have any, any points, but he played four games. Okay. He played four games last year, and it, it may be his penalty minutes getting him into trouble, but he 
I still think that the I I think that the way that him and Hall or him and Coyle played with both Hall and Bertuzzi means that you probably need him on the ice ahead of Hathaway. I think it's, it's funny. Do I think it's the biggest point? No. It's funny because <clears throat> Mr. Shinzawa his optimal game seven lines do not actually include Trent Frederick. It's okay. He's allowed to be wrong. Marsha and Bergeron, DeBrusque, Zaka, Krejci, Pasta, Hall, Coyle, Bertuzzi, and Felino, Nosek, Hathaway. I, I don't know that I agree with that, but. I think that you could easily fl- uh, flip Felino or Hathaway out in favor of Frederick and be better, better served. And that's that's not saying that I think that Polino has been terrible. I don't think he has. It's not saying Hathaway has been terrible. I don't think he has. I, I just think that when you give Foyle and Hall, or when you give the guys the comfort of <clears throat> the guys who brought them to the dance, you know, you're going to do better things. Uh, that Not doesn't me. mean you can't keep rotating them in round two and round three and whatever, but... <clears throat> It, it, as far I, as, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm not enthused about about him being off the ice. I agree. That being said, though, and and yes, I would like to see Frederick out there. That being said, as far as players acquired at the deadline that you really shouldn't be sitting, I think that Bertuzzi is that guy. Oh, Bertuzzi I know that Orlov. I know that Orlov was the big acquisition, and I get that. And Hathaway was, you know, he's he's made to be a Bruin. You know, he's followed the Bruins his whole career. And that Bertuzzi right now, I don't know, for some reason seems more important, or or not important, but seems to be respectful. Bonding better? I don't know quite how to phrase it. four goals, five assists, nine points in six games. Maybe yeah, that's doing all the talking. And and the fact that and the fact that I don't know. Oh wait, he's never been in the playoffs until now, and clearly he's not nervous about it. <laughs> I like his last two points, but they're both very vague. Six is give Bergeron and Krejci more time. And they don't mean like on ice. They actually mean like win game seven so that Bergeron and Krejci actually get to play more. That's what number six is. And number seven, act like the best team in NHL history. He's not wrong there. Like whatever mindset they had during those ridiculous seven game runs where they were where they were playing well. And winning off playing well, not simply because the other teams played poorly. That's the they need to tune their zen to that those moments. That's been my biggest argument all playoffs is that they have not looked at all like the team that played during the regular season. I understand it's a playoffs. I understand it's a different animal. I understand you're playing the same team night in, night out. But they have not looked at all like they did during the regular season. I don't know. They need to take a video from like. January, late late January, one of those seven game win streaks that they had five of. 
And they need to watch that and realize that this is the way you played that got you here. And this is the way you need to get this is what you need to get back to and win because they aren't playing like that. And Omar all over the place. I mean, the whole the whole story about the Ascenza teaching him, you know, the floating up and backward. And but Omar has been all over the place making saves with his head, doing this, doing that. I, I understand that Florida's put him out of position and, and made it a little bit more difficult, but he does not look economical, his movements, his styling. The defense just doesn't look like they're activating like they were in the regular season. It, it, they've let Florida dictate terms, and that needs to stop. Yeah, they just have not looked like... You're right. Pluto's right. They have not looked like the best team of all time. I, people are going to hate me saying it, but I I told people earlier in the year that I had stronger vibes of the 09 season than I did of the 11 season. And if you're only looking at the losses in this series, you see why. Um. See, my my issue is that a lot of people are going to turn around and say, well, you know, it's the fact that they were they were chasing chasing history and they were chasing all those records. And that's why they can't win. No. That's not true. I'm sorry. The fact that they were chasing those records has nothing to do with the way they're playing right now. No, because that's in the past. They had multiple days off. Um, They're a reasonably healthy team. But that's and what leads the to the argument. I hear talking about, oh, they should have sat Bergeron in game eight. Bingo. No. Look, if the coach had looked at Bergeron, who was ready and willing to play Good in luck. front of his family for even even allowing even ignoring his father's health situation, what might be his last time, because he is 37 years old in Montreal and said, nope, you're not playing, he could have lost the locker room there, and this series could already be over. Period. And I think Montgomery respects the game and respects the players too much to have done that. I don't think it was ever a question of whether he was going to. If Bergeron came to him and said, look, I need a day. I feel beat up. I need to recuperate. Playoffs are more important. I think that Jim would have said to him, "Okay, you're off." I, I don't think that I don't think Montgomery made a decision here. I think this was all about what Patrice wanted, and that's the way it should be because Patrice has been here, has given his time. If he wanted to play in front of his parents, because he's not sure he's going to come back next year yet. And this is his last chance. Yes, his father has the health, has the the diagnosis, and I understand that. But I'm trying to do this in a vacuum where it's just the fact that he wants to play in front of his parents. I honestly don't think Montgomery had any decision to make here. I think it was Patrice came to him, said his piece, and Jim went, yeah, that's fine. When it comes to the in-game situation – and I think this is a thing where the league may need to adjust something. 
and no, and I yes, I understand that you know pace of game is the huge advantage that the NHL holds over all the other leagues. I genuinely think that Montgomery should have used a a timeout at least once or twice during those losses to try and just settle things down. He's like, done it. In, he's done it in other games where he's called timeouts at what appear to be inexplicable times, but it completely worked. They settled it down. They ended up coming back, winning the games. Granted, again, regular season, I get it. But he's used his timeouts in in what would appear to be strange situations. So it's not like he's unfamiliar with it. I just but why I, I think the fact it? that the timeouts are so limited in hockey compared to but you only get one. You, yeah, you only get one for an entire game versus you know two per quarter uh, in other games. I think that giving the teams a second uh, timeout, whether it's only in the playoffs or throughout the whole year, could make a big difference. True. Uh, What else do we have? Well, I was going to ask you about this because it's the one thing left on our board. I don't know how much time we've got and I don't know how long this might take, but yeah. Apparently, Rick Bonus was not happy. <laughs> yes, that that is definitely true. And by the way, Rick Bonus falls into that category of coaches that we talked about a little bit earlier in the show. You know, those mid-level guys, the not necessarily superstar guys who have suddenly managed to imp- – and even his first time around as head coach here in Boston, he was not a – stellar coach he was okay they went to the playoffs they did but they didn't get anywhere they didn't win us a championship but here he is back-to-back years with two different teams unfortunately yes Winnipeg's out but he's taken two different teams to the playoffs in two years and now he's upset and disappointed what what is the quote he's disappointed and disgusted by lack of pushback his team showed against the Golden Knights You know what? He's not wrong. Well, if he's not wrong, then why is everybody giving him crap about it? (laughs) Because they don't want to hear it about their favorite players. And he looks like a rumpled old man, which he kind of is. Quite frankly, I think that he understands the game well enough that he's probably better suited to a front office position at this point in his life than he is behind the bench. Um, I don't think that you could make this statement in season and come back from it. Um, in terms of your relationship with the players. Uh, but I don't. I didn't see a lot. Of, I was going to say, I did not see a lot of this series. I caught a, I caught bits and pieces of a game here and, and there. And uh, so they, I don't know how bad Winnipeg actually played. I do know that they were eliminated rather quickly. They were um, beaten in five games, and quite frankly, uh, yeah, no, uh, just no. I, I they that team did not play to its potential. Yes, losing a Norris quality defenseman 
uh, in early in the series did not help them. But I never felt like the like uh, like Vegas was in danger in the last two or three games of the series. They just I'm not saying that Vegas was dominant, but their position never felt threatened. Like you watch certain games and you know that teams are that a team may have a lead, but there's still a good chance they're going to lose that game. Or you watch even games where it's tied late and you say, okay, this team is doing this so much better. They're going to win. And they do. You watch this series and it was, it it was a foregone conclusion that Vegas was coming out with the W. Okay. Um, So, so final question from me then Uh, is is what he's done is what Rick bonus done and said enough that he's not going to be head coach next season. He, I don't think that you can blame him for a team that has been, but is this a resume generating event? Should he have not come out and made these comments? I'm sorry. Unfortunately, again, I'm back to the thick skin season. You can get away with it. There's a lot more time to heal relationships and stuff like that. Okay. But he's also very much not wrong. And, (laughs) and Kevin shovel day off, assuming his job survives needs to hit the big red button and have the earth shattering kaboom on this roster because the guys there right now aren't getting it done. You know, whether you're going to blame uh, Blake Wheeler or Kyle Connor or Mark Shifley or Nick Ehlers or Pierre-Luc Dubois individually or collectively, as your leaderships, as your leadership in terms of uh, the forward group, nope. They didn't go out and they didn't go out and make a big splash at the trade deadline, though, either. No. They didn't. I can't. I I don't. I cannot think of anyone, uh, any major player who wasn't there most of the season, all season. Um, Morrissey was out. I've heard people saying that they're not in love with Schmidt up there. Um, I, I, I think this team needs that earth shattering kaboom. And I, I, I really believe that this is, this is why Paul Maurice basically said, yeah, nope, I'm done. Uh, and then took off for uh, parts with better weather. Hmm. It wasn't just about getting to someplace, you know, where there was better weather. It was, it was about the locker room and that there's been questions and stories about that locker room since before since before Evander Kane left the team and it hasn't improved. You need to, you need to, you know, throw the smoke bomb in and then go in with the bleach and the scrubbers and clean it out. They literally made, they literally made two, two trades at the deadline. They brought in the for a fourth round pick. 
who I, I, I is he even is he listed on the team? Is he uh, there? He is Namesnikov, and they brought in Nino Niederreiter from the Predators for a second round pick. That's their only two moves at the trade deadline. They did not go crazy. I think that Shevelday two assists in the in their five games. Yeah. Nita Ryder actually played well. A goal, uh, three assists, four get well, four points, but a minus seven on a team that got um, rudely used and discarded. But that was their only two moves. So maybe Shevelday recognized that. Look, we may make the playoffs, but I don't know that we're going to make a deep run. So I'm not going to go crazy and sell the farm, so to speak. And I think, I, I, I think ownership and shovel day off, uh, are worried about selling a hard reset to the team, to the fan base, because it is a small market. Um, I think, I don't think you have a choice. Okay. I, I don't think you have a choice. Fair enough. Um, I, and I think if you do it well, I think if you do the hard reset hard enough, not, oh, we're going to make two or three key changes and then, and then call it a day. No. When you say hard reset, are we talking about that earth shattering kablooey? Are we talking about anybody, everybody else? Earth shattering kablooey, basically, I think Josh Morrissey is the highest is the yeah Josh Morrissey is the highest played paid player I would keep and I think uh, I think everyone making but Wheeler's got one more year I would in keep his contract Nieder, I would keep Niederreier if he uh, he's because he's got one more season yeah PLD gone Ehlers gone Shifley gone Connor gone Wheeler PLD. gone. PLD is uh, P, I, how does he still have arbitration rights? He's only 24. Damn. And I'm not He's, blaming any play, any particular player individually here. Uh, I'm just saying that this mix doesn't work. It hasn't worked. It's probably not going to work. Fair enough. I, I, I mean, I'm surprised that they reckon, I'm surprised that Shevel Dayoff recognized that they probably weren't going to make a deep playoff run by only making two moves. So, in an odd way, I almost have to say good for is have to say good for him. I mean, he could have gone out and sold out and tried to bring in multiple talented pieces. But I don't know that it would have made the impact that uh, he would be expecting. I think they'd still be, I think they'd still be eliminated. I mean, you don't have Josh Morrissey, and that's and 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 that's a big blow. But 
are the other guys that bad? I mean, Neil Pionk is is decent in defenseman. Terms of skill or in Thanks terms of will, because that's always my number one question. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, Hellebuck, I'm sure, got brutalized. Okay. That's the la- that's the last thing on our board, though. So. Okay then, and that is uh, where we leave you. Uh, game sevens tonight. Game sevens on Monday. Have a great day, everyone. Um, even if your team uh, does not advance. Take care.